Some of the topics and themes discussed in this week's podcast are explicit and potentially triggering to some listeners. And while we try to discuss these things in as appropriate and thoughtful way as possible, nonetheless, listener discretion is advised. Get that groove and let it take you higher. But how far can you ride it? Does that groove last forever and when does it run out? And when it does, what then? Are boogie nights always the best in town? Or were you even ever on the right groove at all? We're motoring through the San Fernando Valley looking for these answers and more. So whether it's MP or YP, it is now OP. Our problem as we ask the question, Boogie Nights, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. I'm Seth Crow, And I'm Megan Branham. And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media that we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Megan, Seth, how are we today? What's up? <laughs> That's it? That's all you got? <laughs> deflected. Yes, Seth. What's going on, buddy? Wait, I'm deflecting? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I just why said what's up. Why you Seth? Yeah, uh, why you... you know- That's a- very clear deflection. No deflection. No deflection. Reflection. <laughs> reflection. Uh, uh, before you got on, Megan and I were chatting real quick, and uh, both of us had pretty tame weeks. Um, although Megan's was much more exciting than mine. Megan, why don't you tell Seth what you did this week? Which which part? The one with the the writing. The the what? The writing. Oh, 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 yeah. My freelance, um, I do copywriting, you know, um, and uh, it was a lot about prenups this week. So mm, fitting. Week. actually, I spent most of Valentine's Day writing about divorce law. Great. Yeah. Have you ever seen marriage? <laughs> have you ever seen marriage story? I have. Yeah. yeah it's a that'll, bummer. That'll make you not want to get married. That's for mm-hmm. sure. <laughs> oh, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Happy yes, Valentine's Day. Yes, happy Valentine's Day. I did so much on Valentine's Day. I did nothing. You didn't do I anything? I did nothing. No. What would I do? I don't know. You know, you, you I watched Boogie Nights. You watched Boogie Nights? <laughs> I watched Boogie Nights. Happy, we, happy Valentine's Day to me. We watched Boogie Nights as well over lunch. <laughs> For lunch? Yes. What, it's, yes. That movie is not a lunchtime movie. Oh, it's a long lunch. It's a long movie. It's, uh, you know, I think this movie is called For Any Time. It is <laughs> phenomenal. I forgot how much I love this movie. Uh, oh, God. So, uh, but, you know, I Megan hadn't seen it, right? You hadn't seen Boogie Nights? What? No. Oh, so what'd you oh, think? That's wild. Can I get into this now? Should I? Yeah, let's get right I... into it. Why not? Why delay? We're, we naturally just got there all by yeah, itself. I'm, I'm <laughs> deflecting towards the film. What did I think of it? I really, really liked it. Like a lot. Yeah. I thought it was very, very good. Um, I have kind of a tricky track record with Paul Thomas Anderson movies. I have seen, I think like three, three, including this one. And I think this would be the one that I like the most. Um. So yeah, I, I liked it. Music was great. Yeah, clothes were great. The cast was amazing. I didn't the realize. Act, yeah, the yeah. Act, the acting is incredible in this movie. Mm-hmm. Such mm-hmm. good acting. Absolutely. Uh, I, I this is I've seen this movie before, and I actually have a similar thing with Paul Thomas Anderson as you, Megan. Where like his movies are kind of hit and miss for me. I think he just has like a 
uh, predilection for stories that that don't really interest me all that much. So like mm-hmm. I've only seen a, I mean I've seen a, a bunch of his films, but the, you know I can acknowledge that they're well made, well crafted films, and like mm-hmm. you know that they're good films. They're just a lot of times are stories that don't quite interest me. Um, Same, yeah. But like like Phantom Thread, I can acknowledge that that mo- movie is very very well made, but the, sto- the what the right. plot of that movie is is so not intriguing to me at all. Um, we, we saw that together, Rick. We did. I remember seeing it. I said the yeah, same thing at, at that Vista. time, too. Yeah. At the Vista. At the Vista. Uh, and yeah, I said that at that time. I was like, this movie just does not hit whatever it yeah. is that I w- want to see in a movie. But then I love There Will Be Blood. I think There Will Be Blood's fantastic. I was 50 50 on Licorice Pizza. I was, yeah, I don't love Licorice Pizza. You know, uh, so I, again, I agree. I, like Paul Thomas Anderson for me is like, hit or miss but i really really like boogie nights for all the reasons that we that we've stated is that the cast is it was really strong and their performances are really good there's great music and great energy and and it's just i mean honestly it it really goes for it in a lot of areas it just goes for it and it's enjoyable in that way it does cover i would say a massive amount of ground that's for sure and it's it's a peek into a world all of us want to know more about. Exactly. You know? Yeah. It's it's very mysterious. Uh, so even and, if you, you know, yeah, go, even go if ahead, you out, even if you out there like, no, I'm not interested in the world of pornography. Uh, you don't lie. You're a little bit interested. Like maybe I mean, not like you don't want to participate, but you want to know how it, how it all goes down. Sure. I mean, Ricky, Ricky, you live there. Like you're, you're I was you're just going to say that they were driving up and down Sherman way, which is like just a few blocks away from me in the, in the Valley and Reseda. I live in Tarzana on Reseda. So I live right next yeah. to that neighborhood. Um, you're going to bust in or bust any day now, Rick. You're going to get in there any day now. <laughs> I'm going to be the next Dirk Diggler. Uh, That's why okay, I live before, here. I do need to say, I do need to say mom, Dad, if you're listening, just be aware we're going to be talking about sex. Yeah, I, so. I, don't worry. I'm putting in an advisory before this episode just to just to let anybody know who's going to be listening that like I feel like the movie is very sexually explicit, and so I feel like it's unavoidable to talk about any of that stuff. And there's some other potentially triggering things in this movie. Yeah. Uh, so I will put. Uh, I'm going to put a a you know. A, a trigger warning ahead of the episode but yeah this is fair warning a second time to anybody who's still listening that like you know family members out there that don't want to know certain things about us or don't want to hear us talk about certain things um we're not gonna be holding back stuff so because that's not what the show is about um so uh you know if you don't want to hear things this is your warning to like maybe skip this episode but if you are okay with hearing anything about us then keep listening there you go <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to say. <laughs> I, 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 you don't have to say anything. You just got to whip it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the one with the big dick. <laughs> it's my dick. I say when I fuck. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, oh okay. God. This now, movie. Oh, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable and awkward talking about uh, Mark Wahlberg's uh, prosthetic penis with Megan. But... <laughs> well, We're I'll say this to. when I was, but you know, the whole thing about this movie is like the whole lore was like, that was his real penis and this and that. And, and, and a lot of people think, it so, no, no. It, 
No, <laughs> it, it, then you're not allowed. So like I learned this recently, I was listening to a podcast where they were talking about like intimacy coordinators and things like that on sets for a long, long time. You, you can't actually have, you can show real genitalia, but you can't ever have anybody handling it, even their own. It's because huh. it, it becomes a, a, a actual sexual act. If so, like, even if it's yours, as soon as you start touching it, it's a sexual act. And so mm-hmm. if, if anybody's handling it or touching any kind of, any kind of genitalia, it's fake. Even, yeah. even they're really good at making the look, the look real though. <laughs> they're very good at it. Uh, they can show it, but they can't touch it. So anybody out there who's like, no, no, that was real. If, if you're looking, if you're just purely looking at it, yes. If it's, if they're handling it at all, no, no, it's definitely. Not. And I will say this time around when I watched it, I could tell it was fake knowing that it's fake, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you don't know, I think it, and it, the way it's like lit, it's kind of like dark and dusky in there. I think it's easy to like be tricked, but when you know that it's fake, I think it becomes a little bit more obvious. Yeah. But Jesus, the thing's huge. He's a star, baby. He's a star. He's a star. I'm 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 a big, bright, shining star. He's got five points, you know? (laughs) God. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, come on. We're talking about porn today, all right? We got to talk about. We are. We got to loosen up. Okay, be- you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I think I gotta let go of the fact that, like, look, again, we I've talked about this a little bit on the show. Like, I personally don't have a whole lot of sexual experience, and it's definitely an area in my life where I'm not always the most comfortable talking about it. Um, I a couple of episodes ago when we we're uh, my my aunt started listening through these episodes, and uh, we we're I think we were on the. I can't remember which episode, but you know, one episode where we were talking about certain sex things that we've done and things like that. And my aunt listened to it and she's like, that's too much information. I was like, well, you listen to the podcast, not on me. <laughs> I, I didn't know you were listening. Uh, so, you know, I just gotta be okay with it. Yeah. Whatever. We're both very, I think we're both a little uncomfortable, but it's okay. It's all right. Um, it's okay. Stick- it's all right. It's I'm I, I'm I'm still deflecting. So let's. Uh... You want to talk about how it came to be, Seth? Yeah, let's talk about how it came to be. <laughs> I can tell we're a little bit more down to business today. Yeah, we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, trudge through. Trudge uh, through. Tell me how it came to be. Ricky. Let's get to the let's get to the juicy That's bits. Easy, you can't do it. <laughs> let's get to the juicy bits. Yeah. Oh, God damn it. All of, no matter what we say, you, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a double entendre. Yeah, why don't you unleash this load of information? Oh God, Seth! <laughs> Jeez! All right, I will. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is how this film came to be. It was written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, anybody out there who's not familiar with Paul Thomas Anderson, you may have seen any of his films, things like Hard Eight. Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood, The Master, Inherent Vice, Phantom Thread, and Licorice Pizza. So I'm sure at least one of those movies at least rings a bell to you. Um, 
I mean, a lot of those movies are pretty solid. Very, very many of them have been like Oscar nominated, and he's never actually won an Oscar for himself. His movies have won certain categories, but he's never won one. Uh, he's been nominated a couple times, but he's never won. Uh, but this is the story of this movie, Boogie Nights. So let's uh, keep a rocking and a rolling by learning the story of how Boogie Nights came to be. Writer director Paul Thomas Anderson was still early in his career, even though he had started writing and directing films while he was still in high school. The future Academy Award nominated filmmaker only had one low budget feature film under his belt. And even that film was a financial flop. So going back to his early days, Anderson decided to write a feature film based on a short film he had directed in high school, a mockumentary about a fictional porn actor named Dirk Diggler called the Dirk Diggler story. The Dirk Diggler story itself was heavily inspired by the real-life 1981 documentary Exhausted, John C. Holmes, The Real Story, a documentary about the life of iconic porn actor John Holmes, whom Diggler is based on. Anderson's original vision for this film was actually a tad more radical uh, than what the final product of the film would be, which may be hard to believe. Initially, Anderson came to the studio with this idea for this film, and he wanted it to be rated NC-17, and at least three hours long. The studio refused these requests and demanded that Anderson reconsider. And though Anderson tried to stand his ground, eventually he did relent and agreed to go for a rated R rating. And as it turns out, the film actually eventually did come in under three hours, luckily. Another piece of Anderson's initial vision was that he saw Leonardo DiCaprio in the lead role as Dirk Diggler. But DiCaprio, although he enjoyed the script, had already signed on to do Titanic and was unavailable, but he recommended his basketball diaries buddy, Mark Wahlberg, for the part. Joaquin Phoenix also was offered the part, but turned it down, uh, and it was eventually given to Wahlberg. Other actors who either passed on the film or weren't cast include Bill Murray, Harvey Keitel, Warren Beatty, Albert Brooks, Sidney Pollack, Samuel Jackson, Drew Barrymore, Tatum O'Neill, and Gwyneth Paltrow, just to name a few. And despite all the talent left out in the cold with this film, they actually had assembled a powerhouse cast of recognizable faces and future breakout stars, so much so that the casting department even won an award for this film. It was lights, camera, action for Boogie Nights when it appeared at the Toronto Film Festival in the early fall of 1997. After showing in a couple of festivals, the film hit theaters in October of the same year showing on only two screens. I guess it needed a buffer. <laughs> However, on those two screens alone, the film grossed over $50,000, prompting an expanded wide release. And when the film finally reached its climax, it grossed over $43 million worldwide on a $15 million budget, making it... Nice. Instant, thank you. <laughs> first of many hits. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Oh, an hour and a half. What? Mine are way more, way more chilled and sad. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Boogie Nights would go on to earn several Oscar nominations, which it did not win. But not only did this critical and financial success elevate Anderson to the ranks of top tier filmmakers, it also solidified Mark Wahlberg as a bona fide movie star, helping him shift away from his funky bunch past. He's a star. He's a star. He's a star. He's a star. He's a big bright shining star and we have boogie nights and paul thomas anderson to thank for that and that's the story of boogie nights uh there's no uh i looked yep. there's no pokemon 
relation. Oh <laughs> I was just going to say, I, I was like, but, I'm going to turn our Pokemon fact of the day. But if you go to Pornhub and type Pokemon, you'll find quite a bit. So <laughs> I, um, I, I, I actually Pokemon did. Fact. I did know that. <laughs> I also learned because uh, I did some like diving after I watched it just because it was so I didn't know anything about it. But apparently, Burt Reynolds really didn't like it. That's right? true. So, well, he was not like he got a Golden Globe for it and then sold the Golden Globe. So the story goes that he, he apparently did not get along with Paul Thomas Anderson while shooting, mm-hmm. and yeah, when he saw the movie. People say people say that it's hard to tell if he didn't like the movie or if just the experience and and his relationship with Anderson kind of like inflected on that on the, his view of the film. He says it didn't, but it it might have. But Mary, he just also just maybe he didn't like it. I don't know, but that's true. He very very publicly did not, you know, did not say say that he enjoyed making the film. That's, I mean, he's so good in it. He's so good, exactly. He's very, very good as Jack. He's great. Mm-hmm. He's perfect for that role. Like his like demeanor is so like porn, porn producer and director. Yeah, he's like exploitative, but he like believes he's really doing something good. And, like... Yeah, that whole speech, that whole speech about like I want to make a movie. <laughs> so yeah. good. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh my, I was like, dude. Well, and I'm then, pretty sure and that's then, bas- basically Paul Thomas Anderson's goal with this movie, right? Yeah, that's what, kind of what it is. Yeah, it's kind of a little meta in that way. Um, and and then you're like, oh, cool, okay, okay, like that's a cool goal. Uh, and then you see the movies that they're making, you're like, dude, like, the, the quality of the acting is like, like not of. It takes a really good actor to pretend to act badly. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's yeah, yeah. hard to like, if you're a good actor, it's hard to act bad. Like you're a bad actor. Um, That's yeah. It's I tough. think the, the comparison between like I agree that that's like Paul Thomas Anderson talking and just being like I want to make like a movie. And also I feel like there's a lot of like him exploring the I don't know um, how difficult it is to make something like really great in a certain time period where like it's everything seems to be working against you and audiences seem to be working against you. And it's just, it's really interesting. Well, you know what I found interesting about this movie is like, you know, this was back in the days when there wasn't a whole lot of like home video, right? Like in the seventies, they didn't have like home video. So like when, if you wanted to watch a porn, you had to go to a theater that was showing it. And yep. like, so like they had like porns had box offices, mm-hmm. which is like, like, strange to be like this is nice. how much this oh my god <laughs> what what did i say <laughs> i missed it box office it, it was a reach it was box a reach. Office. oh because oh that is a reach jesus oh my god you're gonna do this the whole time it's okay i give you i have to i have to <laughs> to cut the tension yeah the sexual tension yeah <laughs> okay but yeah so like it's weird to me to hear them talking about how you know like showing these films in theaters with uh, you know and knowing that like people are like masturbating during the movie at the theater is straight it's weird to me 
You know what I mean? That is a different time. I get it. But like talk them talking about their 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 pornographic film, like almost in the same terms as like an actual feature film, is mm-hmm. like I don't know. It's so it's weird to me considering the way that like we consume porn pornography these days. Which I reminded. Did you go see um, X? I did not see X yet. It reminded me of that a little bit um, because that whole thing is them trying to like make a film that's also it's like a porn, but they're like you can make it a great film. Which in that movie I thought was really interesting because like I feel like horror movies not Mm -hmm. to the same extent get that same kind of it can't be like a real movie or it can't be like real art. Um, So just to look at the the genre prejudices because because things are sometimes like gratuitous or or right or. It, people think that yeah, horror films are like a lowest common denominator genre. That's true. Mm-hmm. It is true. Yeah. That's and I love horror. I think some of the best movies I've ever seen are horror movies. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, Seth, you got. I see you got some bubble in there. What do you got? No, no, nothing bubbling. Yeah, uh, okay. just just listening, waiting to strike. <laughs> uh. Real fun. Uh, but yeah, it, this movie is is. I am baffled by the cast that they that they got. Like, and a lot of these people had had begun their careers, like had a few things under the belt, but hadn't quite blown up yet. Like John C. Riley, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Mark Wahlberg, Don Cheadle. Like they had, they were around, but they weren't obviously. Now those are some, some huge names in the industry. Yo, Don Cheadle's been in like a gazillion movies. <laughs> Yo, Mark Wahlberg, Roller too. Girl. I lo- Heather Heather Graham. I I gotta be honest. I had a huge crush on Heather Graham going up after I saw uh, Austin Powers: The Spy Who Shagged Me. I had a huge crush on Heather Graham. Huge. So like, she's damn, she's beautiful and and she's so good in this role too. Yeah, she is in this role. Ah, <laughs> this is I'll too do the many. It's too much potential. Uh, I also Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore was so good mm-hmm. like every single time she's on screen she's just like a little off As a, but Am- it's amber waves <laughs> amber waves is a great name <laughs> i love it when i say a little off i mean she's playing it so well like this woman is not like oh okay. this woman's unhinged yeah she is not well she is high she is sad she is it's just oh yeah it's sad and so well done oh yeah Oh, this is crazy. Well, uh, I think it might be time for us to talk about what this film is. So if you're, if you've seen Boogie Nights, but are forgetting kind of what it's about or, or what the plot of the story is, uh, we're going to tell you, uh, Seth, what time is it? Listen to me, baby. (laughs) It's running with Ricky, baby. It's time to write with Ricky, baby. Listen to me, baby. Okay. That's it. <laughs> you changed the lyrics on me. No, we're just, you know, it's a riff. Da, 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 da. A riff on the... Listen to me, baby. You did a little, you're doing a little disco. I get it. Yeah, a little disco. Okay. Saturday so. Night Beaver, you know? No. <laughs> <sighs> 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 that's a direct no. quote from this. That's a direct quote from this film. I know, but no. Why? Well, it's funny because it's it's funny because uh, Megan and I couldn't think of the name of this movie, 
Because yeah. we, we were both like gaslighting ourselves that this was actually Saturday Night Fever yeah. last <laughs> week. <laughs> so I thought that maybe we had picked the wrong movie. <laughs> he's second. done it. He's done it before. Yeah. 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 Well, last night I was talking to somebody, I was talking to a friend about watching this movie and he was like, um, yeah, my, like the album, the soundtrack, so iconic. And my band teacher like asked, like told me to listen to it. And I was like, so when did you watch the movie? He was like, I was like 13. I was like, I don't think we're talking about the same movie. And then it turned out that he was talking about Saturday Night Fever. Both of them have good soundtracks. Common, common confusion. It is a common confusion. Megan, did you watch this alone? I watched it alone. Smart. <laughs> Probably smart. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, Gregory, like... no Gregory Pectifan over in this movie. <laughs> well, I was like, Megan was like, should I, should I watch it alone? And I was like, well, I mean, you could watch it with somebody, but... You're gonna have to answer some questions quickly. That you I watched, might not want. I, I watched it with my mom. No, you didn't. No, Did I you? didn't. No. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm pretty. I, this may not be true. This may be me like creating a memory, but I'm pretty sure my mom was the one that told me about this movie. Like, Brenda. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Hey, your mom's name is Brenda. No, Brenda. No, Ren, no B. Okay. No Brenda. Yeah, Dodd, Dodd, and Renda, not okay. not Todd and Brenda. Okay, that's very confusing. Todd and Brenda right. are wasps. Oh, who love boogie nights? Who, yeah, who love boogie nights and live and live up in the up in like the Hamptons. Yeah, Todd and Brenda. Uh, no, uh, yeah, no, I would never watch this with my mom. I don't think my mom could handle this movie. Maybe she could. I Maybe I'm not giving her enough credit. It. I, my mom and I talk about movies all the time. It's just like our default mm-hmm. when we're like, after we catch up, um, we talk about what we've watched recently. So we talked about this a little bit this morning. She was like, I remember it. I remember it being really good. We didn't talk about any of the uh, yeah, yeah. explicit <laughs> stuff. We talked about how good everyone was in it. That's true. I don't think my mom has seen this movie. Maybe she has, but it would be very, my mom, I think has a very innocent personality as far as like that's the personality that she projects you know is very like innocent and i think that is a part of her a big part of her she's not like super like explicit in any way i mean she didn't even want me to swear until i was like in my like late 20s but whenever i'd swear around her she'd be like i don't like it when you talk like that that's my mom (laughs) so she's just a what a precious angel, my mom. I love her very much. So I don't know if she's ever seen this movie. And if she had, I don't think she would want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about it. So because I, Seth, you sang the song a long time ago. You might have to sing it yeah. again. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here is my logline for this film. Uh, Seth and Megan are going to rate me on a scale of one to ten, based on their gut reactions of how good this logline is for this movie. And again, they can grade it on any criteria they want. Once they've given me a grade, I will average it and then put that into my score. And I'll see what my average for the year is and what my overall average is. So, again, we're trying to keep it above an eight. That's the that's the uh, that's the goal. So here is the logline for Boogie Nights, as according to me. <clears throat> A dark look into the climactic world of the Hollywood porn industry in the 70s and 80s. 
I'll give you a 10. Really? Yeah. This is what he's been asking for for months. This is the type of log line he's been wanting for, for months. I think it's good. I give it a seven. Seven. Okay. See, you know what it is? It's differences in like what people want from a log line, right? Some people Uh, want the story, want like to hear like what the story is going on. And some people just want the the essence of it, right? The vibe of it. Seth is Mm -hmm. all about the vibes. He's like, don't over explain it to me. Give me the chorus. Don't bore us. Get to the chorus kind of guy. Okay. Uh, so let's see. 17. That's going to be a 8.5 average. Yeah. Do well, the ads. I, well, I do my math and get my totals. Here's an ad. Do you like crazy college girls? No. <laughs> <laughs> we can't advertise Girls Gone Wild. <laughs> I don't even think it exists anymore. I don't. I it, I, it can't. I don't know. Maybe somewhere. I think they got sued. I think they got sued real bad. They've been sued several times. So my new totals here, both uh, both averages went up. Uh, So I went from my 2023 average was a 7.3, has now gone up to a 7.58. Nice. Uh, And the overall average was an 8.08, getting close to dropping below that 8, has gone up just a smidge, uh, and is now an 8.1. So. We are feeling good today. I'll take those. I'll take them. So now that we talked about the history, now that we've talked about our feelings of just the movie in general, uh, it's time for us to talk about the main topic of the show. And Seth, since it is your pick, you get to decide who you ask first. All right. Ricardo Bladeas. I knew it, you son of a bitch. (laughs) Boogie Nights, what's it about? Okay, so I think there are there are a few layers to this film. I think there's like a a macro layer, like a, a societal layer, and then there is like a personal layer, um, and a more human layer. So the macro layer for me is like the way that people v- view specific subgroups and subcultures. And how people almost like categorize them into acceptable, socially acceptable and not socially acceptable. Um, so we see like a lot of issues with like in the world of pornography, a lot of these people are big deals. They're huge celebrities. They're uber successful people in their industry. And so whenever they're around people who are in their industry or, or, or respect their industry, they command a lot of respect and attention and power. But then anytime that any of them branch even out just a little bit from that, from that culture, they are looked down upon severely. And we see it with, with Buck. We see it with Dirk. We see it with and Reed with their music. We see it with uh, uh, Amber uh, trying to get her child back. You know, we see it all over the place. They, it, when they're all together – in their microcosm, they're happy. They have all the power in the world. They have all the freedom in the world and all the respect from each other in the world. But as soon as they step out of that bubble, they got less than nothing, almost no respect whatsoever. So I think they're like, I think that is, is something that's going on in this movie is like this idea of like these niche pockets of, of culture and how, you know, big fish, little pond type idea. Right. Uh, and then 
for me, the more personal one, which is I think permeates the entire movie, is like this desperation to fill the role that you think you're meant to play in life. This, I think people, and I think a lot of people can relate to this, is that people are looking for purpose. I mean, that a lot of the show is about, you know, what is life all about, right? Like, what's the purpose of life? And a lot of people think that you're born with something that you're supposed to do. And some people think they know what that thing is um, and will pursue that thing to the fullest extent. And when they're met with disappointment and failure, it's really, really hard to cope. Uh, and I think this movie, I felt a little bit like there, are, you know, I'm pursuing acting and writing. And if I, if someone asked me like, okay, well, if that doesn't work out for you, what are you going to do? Like, it's hard for me to imagine what, my life looks like not not pursuing this thing and like not succeeding in this thing. Um, I mean, you have to kind of imagine it because it's hard business and the odds are against you. But like when I try and think past like what I'm doing currently, it's kind of blank. And that's really, really scary to me is that beyond this pursuit, I don't know what I see. You know, because I want a family and I want a, 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 you know, a life and things like that. But like, I can't see those things past my own pursuit of the, this role in life that I think that I, I don't know what else I can do that's going to be like of any significant value to anybody. Um, and so I can understand falling into a, a desperation and into a very dark place when someone says when someone eventually is like you need to stop or like no you can't have what it is you think you're meant to do you don't get it um so that's what i think this movie is about is like what happens when you, someone tells you that you can't be the thing that you think you're destined to be and where the, that can take you i like it i think there's we'll keep going yeah we'll keep going i like it i like it i think it's a foundation Okay. Well then, well then what what do you think, Seth? It's Megan's turn. I'm last. No, no, no. We can go in whatever way we want. But you want know to find <laughs> Megan. I can go. Megan, you go ahead, Megan. Um I agree with a lot of what you're saying, mm-hmm. Ricky. I think it's a lot about um um like finding your purpose or hoping that you find your purpose, but also like really specifically in our culture and like, I feel like LA and like Hollywood, it's like a, this like, like zoomed in, like it's easier to tell the story there cause it's all heightened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like in that particular place, it's even more like immediate. I think it's also a lot about similarly to what you were saying, identity. Like they're all looking for like, whether it's through a relationship or through like the thing they're good at or through their art or whatever, they are looking so completely for, for an identity and they have this illusion of control over it and then it all kind of falls apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it might be, I don't know. I saw notes about like real versus fake. Like there are lots of moments where like it becomes clear that they, again, they think they're in control. And then the second like reality steps in, it so quickly spirals out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, then, then it gets like really scary um, yeah, I think it's a lot about relationships and identity. 
even more than it's about Mark Wahlberg's giant dick. <laughs> but it is about that too. Let's be honest. It's a lot about that. That's what I was waiting to hear. <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, so jump in on Mark Wahlberg's giant dick. Jump in here. Mark, Mark Wahlberg has a 13-inch penis in this movie. I mean, that's really the only thing that matters. According to him, that's a gift from God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 13 inches is huge. That's That's gigantic. really big. Yeah. That's really big. It would be... <laughs> Megan, You, if you didn't know, it would be <laughs> that's so inconvenient. Bar. It would be so inconvenient to have that. It would be horrible. That's, that's a Subway sandwich. That's more than a Subway sandwich. Considering, yeah, even their footlongs aren't even a footlong. <laughs> cumbersome than anything else right That's, yes it would be very annoying to walk around with that day to day it'd be yeah like, sure maybe it gives you like a weird like ego thing like a big confidence thing oh, there's so much ego in this movie i want to talk about that yeah. too uh but like just like the actual physical day-to-day like functioning with that in your pants would be really annoying you can't sit you down able- on the toilet you can't no. sit down on the toilet no you had it his whole personality right like he had to make that his like he didn't have a choice exactly it's top of mind every day well that's what he said you know that's what they say in this movie a lot of the times it's like he's like what else am i supposed to do in life this is the thing i got like i can't just like be like a dishwasher and have this in here <laughs> you know it's inconvenient <laughs> that's uh supposedly that's how big ian mckellen's dick is no way yeah he's got a Damn. huge dick Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen, Gandalf, Magneto. Huh. Yeah. Everybody, well, everybody knew Gandalf was packing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna be a wizard, you got to have a staff, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's magic, it baby. <laughs> um, no, but um, you know, like, like, truthfully, that it it would it would it would be bad. It would be not great, actually, to have that. And in to be crass here for a second, like um, imagine it being soft. Like it's gonna still be so big. Yeah, and like you can't, it'll be like a spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. Just like in, no, mean, really. That's all that this movie. You're in about. a lot of danger. You're in a lot of danger of, of damaging the tissue in your penis. <laughs> Just honestly, if it's like flopping around and like being like pinched and like curled in your pants all day, like you could honestly very much damage it. Yeah. It's a lot of, you can, you can, did you guys know this? You can actually break your penis. Like, yes. it, like it, like it, like even though there's no bones in there, like you can damage the, the cartilage and the tissue so bad that it, it's like a broken bone. Johnny Knoxville broke his penis. Oh, that's where I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. He also, yeah. he also yeah. detached his urethra. Yeah. At the same time? Probably, but maybe not. I mean, he's had a lot. Let's be honest. He's had a lot of genital mutilation. Yeah. Again, sorry, everybody at home. This is what this 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 movie brings out. It's a lot of this. Um, about it. So, um, but I was like, in the first twenty minutes, I was like mad. I was like, what the fuck? Because it just is. It felt for the first twenty minutes like just wish fulfillment written by a man. Like I was like, this can't be all it is because it's like it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like this movie, but the first twenty minutes are just like people talking about how big he is and how good he is at sex. I was like, this is 
ridiculous. It's like, there it's is, a, I'll say this there is a, 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 the movie does touch on this idea of like fantasy, right? Of yeah. what, what is every, not every guy, I'm gonna, I don't wanna mean to mean, mean general. What do a lot of men dream about? They dream about being amazing at sex, they dream about, having sex with a lot of beautiful women. A lot of men, I think, think they would want to do porn if there were no consequences to it. You know? If there was, like, no societal taboo, if there was no fear of shame, if there was no... I think in your head, you're like, I could do porn. That would be amazing. I think a lot of people think this. I had a friend in college I had this whole argument with once. You know, the classic pornography setup of like delivery driver comes to the door, opens and rings the doorbell and it's a bunch of girls who are having a slumber party and like pull the guy in and like have sex with him. Right. That's like that's like one of those really cliche porn setups. And we're in college and we were like having a conversation about this setup. And one of my friends was like, I'll do it. I would totally do that if that happened in real life. I was like, I don't know if you would. That's We've a red flag. Argue. You and I have yeah. had this argument. We've right? had this argument. Yeah. Seth, Seth disagrees. Uh, I think that's I a disagree. red flag. Oh, oh, oh. And honestly, no offense to him, I don't think he is. The, I think he's portraying himself and like puffing himself up with his like machismo. I don't genuinely think that he has the sexual confidence for that. At least at the time, I don't think he did. He might now. I haven't talked to him in a while. But at that time, I'm like, I'm like, dude, I don't know if you have the, the, you know, to use a crass term, I don't think you got the balls to do that. I think you would chicken out. But maybe I'm wrong. Do you want to hear what I think this movie's about? <laughs> what do you think this movie? You said what it's about. Mark Wahlberg. That was Mark a, that big was a old bit. Dick. That was a bit. No, no, no. It was a big. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. Uh, so I think this movie is about um, self-worth, where mm -hmm. we get it from, uh, where we derive self-worth, and how that is difficult in a capitalist society like America. Um, I think... Uh, and, and then it also like the other side of that is, well, where do, where should we get our worth? And that really is from our relationships with other people, not things. Um, and so like, what's cool about this movie is it's such a, a, a beautiful peek into this like world that is so, you know, hedonistic and kind of fucked up but there's still people there and they still have relationships and they still love each other and there is like this family that's created uh that they just kind of happen to all fuck each other but it's still a family <laughs> you know so uh it, it's it's that it's very this movie's very human I, I think this movie's so human um i i love this movie i i i didn't realize how much this movie influenced me. I, I think it influenced me a lot. Uh, and I was cool to watch. This is, I think, the second or third time I've seen it. Um, and 
it was cool to watch it from a film analysis point of view this time. Cause like when I, when I was a kid or I think I saw this when I was like high school, early college, I mean, it was kind of just wish fulfillment, you know, it was just kind of like, Holy shit. <laughs> like titties and blow. That's, that's the best, you know, like, let's just, let's just watch it. Let's just watch it. You know, I mean, but it definitely affected the way I viewed. <laughs> it definitely Sorry. affected the way I viewed Hollywood, you know? Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I, you know, let's not talk about penises here, but I do relate deeply to the character of Dirk Dickler. Like, not Dirk, but uh, the guy, the kid. Eddie I can't Adams. Even his name. Eddie, I really don't remember. Eddie his name. Adams. Yeah, Eddie. Uh, like, you know, I mean, I did, I have been the young boy seeking a career in an industry. You know what I mean? And uh, you could easily allow it. Like, honestly, after I saw this movie, I was terrified to move to Los Angeles. I, I didn't. I chose to move to Chicago first because of this movie. That's a fact. Because I was scared I was going to move to L.A. and just, like, end up in the porn industry somehow. And, you know, my life would just go to shit. You know, that's funny because so, my fear was I would move to LA and become a Scientologist. <laughs> well, no, I, so. I, I totally understand. No, although <laughs> Seth, you remember that time me, you, and Sarah were walking down Hollywood Boulevard? It was just you and Sarah. I'm pretty sure Sarah took you into. Uh... No, no, no. You did this. Oh. It was another oh. time we were walking by the Scientology Center, and. You know, there are people out front, like, trying to hand out flyers and stuff. And we tried to just, like, walk by. And you're like, no, no, he wants – you're like, he wants a, he wants a pamphlet. He, he, this guy wants a, and I was like, Seth, please don't. Don't do this to me. And you're like, no, no, no. And the guy's like, oh, you want a pamphlet? I was like, I do not. He's like, come on in. We're doing a meeting. And I was like, no. I ran away. You're not getting me in that building ever. <laughs> but, Seth, I, I like – I really like where you're going with this because I think – yeah, what what's kind of underneath mine is this, like, where do you get your self-worth? Like, where do you feel that you belong? Like, I think self-worth, like, are you worthy of something, comes from the, the emotional and social uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh you know, when people are giving you what you need and letting you know that you, you have value, you're getting it from other people. Um, and self-worth is really tough because you have to have that in yourself, but you get a lot of that from others. And you do that by filling a certain certain role that you feel gives you value. Um, mm. And in some certain, again, in certain subcultures, like for example, like, Seth and I play Magic the Gathering a lot. We've talked about it on the show before. Like people who are really good at Magic the Gathering think they're hot shit, right? You know, yeah. You know, when we play have, people have the, they have yeah. nothing else because they Ex have nothing else. Exactly. So in like the world of like their local game store or even like if they're at the top level, like the pro tour, these guys, some of them are like not. Some, again, some of them are perfectly wonderful, nice human beings, but some of them are really nasty, they're horrible, big people. assholes. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and there are lots of lots of uh, 
history in Magic the Gathering of people being nasty and being cheaters and being not good people. Um, because their identity, Megan, their self-worth is all wrapped up in being the best at this game in mm-hmm. their subculture. But as soon as they step outside it, they, no one gives a crap. Right. You know, they have no value, not no value, but they have no inherent, uh, uh, uh entitled respect to be given to them. Mm-hmm. And that is hard for people. And I think we see in this movie. Like you said, they create a family and it's a little bit messed up because like it's incestuous in a lot of ways in that like Lola Girl calls Amber her mom and and but then they're like having sex with each other, you know, and, and same with like Amber looks at Dirk as her son, you know, calls she she calls him her baby at one point. My you know, her her two sons basically, she says at one point. Mm-hmm. She looks at him as a son to be mothered and yet they're 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 fucking. Yeah. And so it's like it is weird, but like doesn't mean that the love there's not real. Um, it might be different, and it might not be what people are used to. But I think they get judged for that, and that makes it hard for them to exist outside of their industry. I think it's also a lot about confusing types of love, like looking for it so, wanting it so badly, and I think that goes back to like identity, and um how like you were saying we cast ourselves in certain roles and we create personas for ourselves that we feel like it's either who we want to be or who other people have told us they want us to be and then the love we get for that persona it's not sustainable and then you wind up looking for it anywhere else that you can find it in other people in fucked up relationships in substances and whatever um so i think it's that's an interesting point too that once you create that persona if it's not you know if you feel like you're only loved for that thing then what's left when you lose that thing Mm -hmm. i think that idea is really portrayed in amber in that she looks at herself as a mom she's a mom and even a jack at one point says like she's she mothers, she's the mother. She mothers everybody. You know, she just is looking for people to mother. And like, we see that like, it's because she can't be a mother to her actual child who has been taken away from her and is being kept from her. Um, and so she's, she's looking to mother everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she's, her identity for her is mom. Uh, and, yeah. and she will desperately try to fill that role with for anybody. Her story is so sad. It's like so at the sad. end, looking in the mirror is so sad. Um, I feel like she's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like she's one of the only characters who's left. Like, I just don't feel good about <laughs> her or what she's left with. Oh, I don't feel really good about where any of them are yeah. left, truthfully. Yeah. Cause like, you know, we look at Dirk kind of ends up back where he's not exactly where he fully started, but he's like kind of resigned himself to just be, another actor right another porn porn actor and like he's like his like he's having to like reinflate his ego you know in while he's looking in this mirror he's you know it's that that bravado and that like like confidence that he had is is completely been taken away he does not have it anymore you know he has to like try and like psych himself up now you know and Mm -hmm. for roller girl 
I don't you know. She's done this once before where she's tried to like get her GED. She's tried to do high school, you know, and she still seems like she's she's not, you know, even in that that scene where they show her try taking the GED, she's not taking the test. She's out staring. She's staring off into space just like she always does. So I don't think she's ever going to like progress there. And even if she gets her GED, what's she going to do with that? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't. None of the, I don't think, and now they're on like videotape now, and so like they're becoming more of like a less of a film production and more of just like a, the where we know the porn industry is going, where it's just mass production of schlock. You know, put mm-hmm. out as much as you can, make as much as you can. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't feel good about where anybody ends up, other than yeah. Buck. And I don't even think Buck. I think the way they're the way they portraying Buck is like that. Store is not going to make it. Yeah. What do you think about that? I didn't know how to read that scene in the where he takes the money. Donut shop. Yeah, I think I was curious about what you guys thought about that. Well, I for me, it's he's de- what is the thing that what is his what is his like you said his identity? What is his role that he sees himself as? He sees himself as an actor and a salesman, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he wants to be a he's like I see myself as a business owner, and the the dark things you will do to get to fill the role that you think you're supposed to, you know? Mm. And so he took, he takes that money and, and sure. Like he didn't like get arrested, you know, he he didn't have any consequences, but I don't, you know, we see that he, he, his identity, you know, he's changed his look like four times in this movie, his look, Mm. right. He has no idea who he is. He's destined to keep doing that and fail. Well, I, so like, like I said, I watched this movie this time way more analytically than I have ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think his character, I think his character is fascinating because it's a commentary on, you know, so, so he is trying to adhere to white culture the entire time, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's wearing, he, he's like into the cowboy look. He listens to country music. Like he is like, he is not, he does not embrace like his black culture, right? He's like almost like trying to be a thing that white people want him to be. Does that make sense? Like throughout the entire movie mm-hmm. or his idea of what like the white actor is. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting cause you're right. So like he, and he even refuses to acknowledge that he is a, you know, People keep, you know, when he goes to that bank to get that loan, you're a pornographer. He's like, no, I'm not a pornographer. I'm an actor. He refuses to actually look at what he does. And like, and sure, you can get into the argument of like, what, who, what is a pornographer? Is that like the filmmaker or does that include all the actors in the porn? Like, does it? I don't know how you guys feel about that, but like he, he, he's trying to hold very tightly onto, like you said, a, a perfect image for everybody else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what happens in the scene with the robbery is basically he's put into a scenario that automatically like he knows that the cops come, he's fucked. Like if mm-hmm. the cops come, he's a black guy with three white dudes murdered around him. Yeah. He's so what he does instead is he try he just, just chooses to embrace the moment and take the money. Because he knows that's so for the first time he's exploiting the system as opposed mm. to the system exploiting him. Mm. As opposed to 
it's like a weird, it's a, one of those donut hole things, right? Like, uh, it's like he has been trying to adhere to white culture, but it's actually his escape is actually embracing this moment that kind of like he had no control over, but he, he does the wrong thing. But in this moment, it's the right thing mm. because his life is fucked if, if the police come. Yeah. So, so that, that scene in the, toward the beginning when that his boss talks to him about not playing country music. Yeah. I think that like, it, what if that's just the music that he likes and to have a white man tell him he's not being black enough. The way a black man should be like, he's just having people tell him this is who you are. This is who you're not. I think a lot of them have that. And obviously the added layer of race with his characters makes it even more. Well, I mean, I'm not saying that he doesn't like country music, but yeah, yeah. But like, did you see? Did you see the like commercial? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, it's, that was. It's the first time he's like embraced like an urban look. Well, I'll say this: it might not be as as him embracing his culture as much as we think, because it it also is a very white way of looking at that culture. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? yeah. He might be playing up the way that white people see his culture yeah. rather rather than his own actual cultural expression. Right. Because I don't think saying, that's who he is. You know what I mean? No. I'm just saying it's a it's it's very like his that journey is I, I, it's his his journey, I think there's no way it's not about race, you know, like mm-hmm. white culture. And like white culture versus black culture and who you are and how you fit into it. Uh, but, you know, he, it's like, it's almost like he was, he's forced into this trope that he never, ever would have been forced into. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, well, I need to at least take advantage of it, which is kind of representative, representative of the whole like gang mentality. You know, it's like, we've been, we've been forced into these circumstances, we need to take advantage of it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I totally get that. And I think something it's just to further like dissect this idea of like culture. So, so he's in this porn industry and obviously anytime he goes outside it, he's disrespected, right? You know, he does, he's, he's no, he's a, he's a popular guy in his circle and then that's it. And I think that can also go with race too. So like, you know he's a he's a he's a black man and so there's that kind of thing where it's like okay is he already being discriminated against as a black man now a black man who does porn there's that but also because he like you said because he does embrace something that's like not traditionally african-american um he's judged by other black people you know we see brandy at one point be like like change your style this is stupid like what you wear is dumb and and so like even like the black community is like rejects him a little bit too. So he's kind of this guy who like speaking of identity and speaking of being accepted and self worth is a guy who's kind of like fluctuate in constant flux because he just doesn't know how to even within himself where he fits. Um, and I know I talked a little bit about that when we did like Coco about like my personal racial identity being being mixed race and being Caucasian and Latino. And like how both communities have, at different points in my life have like said like 
you're not a part of our community. Um, you're yeah. outside it. And so like, I feel like he also, I can feel that within him where he's like, I don't, I maybe am different than what like the traditional of all these groups are. And so none of them are actually going to ever embrace me, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, there's that, but for, for me, I want to talk about like, so it sounds like to me, we're all kind of in this area of like the way that we see ourselves the way that we feel about ourselves and the function that we serve others and how that reflects back on us. Right. So like your identity, who you think that you are or who you identify as creates a relation to other people around us. You know, the way we see ourselves is how we then express ourselves to others and present ourselves to others, which then forms these, feedback loops of of um god i can't think of the freaking word ah but uh you know we by telling people this is who i am we either get that that feedback positive feedback from them or negative feedback from them and then it either creates a a desperation to find self-worth in other ways or not and so i'm curious for you guys what are the areas in your life where you've like feel like you've settled into a view of yourself and like how pers- like maybe sometimes holding on to that view of yourself has kind of caused issues or when you've had to let go of that you know what i mean like we see these characters holding on very tightly to their image of themselves whether it's mom or destined to be a a sex god or you know our tour filmmaker um Mm. these people see themselves as a very particular thing uh and it hurts them when they refuse to acknowledge that like hey maybe maybe you're not that thing um i have a i have a it does sorry go ahead uh, i have a quote that i wrote self i'm quoting myself Mm. uh but it's uh you are not you you are only what you are. And you ha- you have this idea. So basically you have this idea of what you are, but that is not what you are. You know, like you, you can only see, you can't see outside of your own idea of yourself, but that's how you move through the world is not what you think you are. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I think there's lots of moments in this movie where, or at least a few, where people who are firmly rooted or feel like they're firmly rooted in their identity, when that, when they realize that other people are not perceiving them the way that they think they're being perceived, or maybe their chosen identity doesn't mean as much to other people as they thought it would, that becomes, I don't know, very jarring and almost like a lot of like the more violent scenes I think happen in those moments. I, I'm distracted because I'm trying to look up that freaking word that I can't remember. It's intercourse. No, it's not. <laughs> not. Uh, I so Rick for me, this movie like like it really does nail it on the well. It, it really. <laughs> <laughs> 
You didn't even say it, and that's still in my head. I heard it. Oh, Oh, yeah. Uh, So, like I said, this movie scared me to death uh, when I watched it. I loved it, but it scared scared me. Um, uh, I have always had identity issues. Like, my whole life. Like, it is, like, it is my cross to bear uh and uh I'm, I'm just now figuring out you know why uh because uh my recent di- high functioning autism diagnosis that i've gotten has really kind of like shown me why that is um because my self-defense mechanism is to like mask um so I've just devoted my whole life to becoming what other people want me to be um, moment to moment, essentially. Uh, So this like whole self-worth conversation is very like close to home for me. Like there's so many phases of my life that are uh, I was seeking self-worth in ways I shouldn't. Uh, I mean, I was a I, I was a fuck boy at one point. Uh, I, I definitely, for the whole time I was in Chicago, like into college, whole time I was in Chicago, that was where I got my self-worth was through sex. Um, but the catch 22 was I had to be like under, I had to be intoxicated to let myself have sex because I have so much guilt around sex. Mm-hmm. So like I would just get fucked up so I could go have sex and feel good about myself. And then I would just feel bad about myself. And then it just became this like horrible cycle. Uh, so yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm and honestly, I'm still working through like figuring my psychosexuality out. Uh, I'm not a psycho. Uh, that's not what that means. Psycho as in psychology people. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, uh, so like, yeah, this movie, like, like I said, I just really relate to this character um, because I wanted to go and become a movie star, you know, and then that didn't really work out. I'm still pursuing it, but like sometimes I'm like, why? Like, what is it? My life has been devoted to like figuring out what it is exactly that I'm pursuing, you know, like sometimes I'll be talking about the projects I'm working on and I'm like, what are, what am I even talking about? Like, what it what what is this? Like, who cares? Like, you know, like, and and that's really why I like wanted to highlight. There's two so like relationships, the like relationships I think are what make life worth living. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and that's really kind of where I'm landing. And so like what I'm trying to do now, I think with my life is is create environments or do my art to cultivate bringing people together um, and create relationships. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought here. The other thing I wanted to talk about, though, with this uh, is shame, because I think there's a huge theme of shame uh, in this movie, and it kind of feeds into the self-worth stuff, like it's inevitably tied together. Hmm. Um yeah, I mean, for me, like, sex was, I was raised very religious. And so 
I had these kind of conflicting messages being presented to me uh, growing up because like my mom bought me my first Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's like sex is bad. No sex before marriage. You know? Hmm. So it's like a little bit my, I knew my mom and my mom and dad were like horn dogs. Like they went at it. I never saw anything. It's not like that. But, you know, as I got older, I was like, mm, okay, that's why the door was locked. So like, uh, you know, sex was always like taboo in my household to talk about, but mm. it was definitely there. Um, so I don't know. I'm just rambling at this point. No, I, I, so on the flip side of you, Seth, and I figured out what that word was. It's affirmations. Affirmation. Oh. That's the word I was looking for, being being affirmed by other people. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm on the flip side of you where, you know, talking about my identity and things like that, like I hold very tightly onto a view of being a good person as far as like you know, you, you've criticized me in this way before, not criticized, but you've, you know, we've had conversations about this of like, sometimes I hold a little bit too tightly onto this, like perfect, being the perfect person, the perfect, kind, responsible, nice person. Right. Uh, and when it comes to pursuing sex in particular, it, it kind of becomes something that's a huge roadblock for me because Sometimes in that way, putting yourself out there to like flirt with somebody, to put yourself out there sexually can feel a little, like you said, to feel a little shameful. You know, we've looked, we look at sex as like being a little bit shame filled. And, and so when you put yourself out there sexually and it's like not received well, you feel like a sleaze, you know? Yeah. You feel really, really bad, and you feel like you've made somebody's life uncomfortable, and you feel like like that's a negative event in that person's life. That that is your fault, you know. That's something someone's gonna go away with, like you know, a story of like some gross, disgusting guy hit on me while I was at the bar, and ew, disgusting kind of thing. You know what I mean? And I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy that like makes somebody walk away from the world being like the world is full of a bunch of disgusting assholes. Like, you know? And so like, there's this roadblock for me of like, I don't want to be that person for anybody. And so I don't, I'm not forward about that kind of stuff ever because I don't know if I understand how to do it in a, in a respectful way. You know what I mean? And so this, yeah, I mean, this fear of break of breaking my, my, be, I want, I genuinely do want to be a good person and like, but I will not risk breaking it. Even, even if it's for, you know, everybody's like, Oh, like you, you know, if you do it in the right way and if you, if you are kind of respectful and once they say no, if you leave, like everybody like tries to tell me all the things like it should be fine. Like, you, you know, you should be able to go for it if you, you know, if you're not going to hurt anybody, but there's that roadblock there of like, but you know, I don't want to be that sleazy, awful person that that person that that other person walks away from that from their night being like, my night was great until that one person came in and was gross and horrible. 
to me? I have a thought. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think that that's, I, I, I think that's kind of refreshing to hear mm. um, that you would be like that cautious. But I also, not to tell you the same thing as, you know, mm. of course there is a way to do it that's respectful. I feel like maybe that perception doesn't give the, the women in the situation as much credit as they deserve. That's fair. You know what I mean? Like if, if most women have had that happen and it doesn't ruin their night as long as, you know, you're respectful and you're like, okay, cool. Bye. Or like, or you hit it off and it goes well. Um, I think that um, like having a little more faith in them mm-hmm. <laughs> that they'll, you know, and if they're not, some women are very, like very guarded, very jaded for whatever reason, they might be like, you know, fuck you, whatever. But I think most women, if you go about it, that way if you're respectful they'll just be like oh no thank you or yes let's talk and and go about their night however it's going i just think you got to give them a little more credit that that's totally fair and and logically i understand that to be true but you know we hear so many stories about how often i think women are treated in a certain way right you know as sexual objects and conquests and like, Oh, this person only wants to talk to me because they want to have sex with me. And like, I feels like so many women have all these stories of these like horrible things. And, and I don't, I really don't want to contribute to that narrative at all, at all. And it's a, it's a hang up. It's a big hang up. It's just, it's a fear and there is shame mm-hmm. involved in that. And, and you know, it's, it's it's you know you hear all these stories and it just like makes you sick and you're like men suck, you know in so many ways, um, and I don't want to be a part of the part of the problem, you know. I can I understand what you're getting at, Ricky. Um, I mean I haven't been single in for five years now, mm. um, but but like. If I were single again, I have no idea how to soberly uh, take a relationship that is like, wouldn't say one of these like bar interactions, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I would be, you know, I don't know. I would be, I would feel very uncomfortable trying to like get across that boundary. You know what I mean? Like in this, especially now in this, in like. 2023 you know what i mean mm. uh like like i remember being in la uh and the comedy scene w- during the me too movement and like all the like all the comics were like ah, like what do we do <laughs> like how do we move forward there's an element in this because i've heard this argument before and i understand like i understand well i don't understand you know i can't i can only imagine what it's like being a man navigating the world and, you know, having these feeling like maybe women think of you as predatory when you're not trying to be that way. Um, but I think there, when I hear this argument, I just, I kind of bristle a little bit because I hear like, I, in like business, I'm thinking about it in business context because I used to work for a magazine. So I heard these conversations where it was like older men being like, well, what can I do? Like, I can't like, I don't want to shake your hand for, and it just feels very dismissive of the entire thing mm. to be like, well, I guess I won't even talk to you because what if you assume this thing? And it's like, that is so, it's it's dismissive, not to say you're doing this, but like when I hear some people like approach it this way, it's a little, it's dismissive and it 
ignores the nuances of these conversations that we have to have. Like women aren't like, don't talk to me at all. Women are like, please ask me what I'm comfortable with and respect it. And I think we're getting more to a place of that. Um, but yeah, that, that just makes me like oh, yeah. a little good. want to hear it. Good for, yes. Mm. Uh, I just, I think, I think there is a lot of, so like coming from the nerdy boy perspective, like I have been, it, it's a lot of pressure to have to be the one that moves the ball, you know, uh, the dating the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like, it's so for like, even for me, like I, in, like this time I speak of in Chicago and, and things like I, I, that's why I had to be loose. I had to drink because it was like, I'm so scared of doing something offensive by pursuing this that I need like I, I have to be a little intoxicated to be able to allow myself to pursue it mm. you know um, because like I the last thing I, I want to do is offend somebody you know what I mean like the last thing I want to do is uh, make somebody feel uncomfortable because of something I said or something I want you know mm. um, I think that's what Ricky is that's that's Ricky's kind of yeah I mean I mean I do have I think a general problem of 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 pursuing something that I want as opposed to as opposed to deferring to others and so for me again this is like probably just a, a something that I need to like really really like dig into as far as like my views of sex and like the the, the shame around it and the idea that it's like because, you know, again, I haven't had a whole lot of sexual experience. I've had one sexual relationship in my life. Uh, and the, she was the one that initiated. Um, and that does not happen often for me. Like, we both had a mutual chemistry and attraction to each other. But she, I would never have acted because because of the thing we were just talking about. Where I did not want to intrude on her and, like, make her uncomfortable and the, and be like, Oh, you've just ruined our like our like friendship and our relationship, and now because like now you're like trying to pursue a different thing, right? Even though, because I couldn't read necessarily that she wanted me to to act on it, right? She, apparently, she, as she tells me late, as she told me later, she was dropping lots of hints that she wanted me to act on it, but I was I might have been seeing them, but then like being like, no, I'm probably misreading that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so she, one night she just had to initiate. Um, we were in her office and she just like went for it kind of thing. And I, and it gave me permission and then go for it too. You know, but like, but I would never, I would have, I would have never ever pursued. Because, I think it's, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No. And, and it just in my, in my dating history, it, the same thing is like, I will only ask somebody like out or like pursue that if I've known them for a really long time and they, I'm like pretty sure that they know the type of person I am and they know that like, Mm -hmm. okay, this is all coming from a very genuine and honest place. None of this is coming from, from anything other than like, I genuinely am attracted to you and like you. And because I would never otherwise. And like, sometimes it has like, like friendships have gotten weird and it's like, okay, maybe we can't really hang out as much as we used to. And I'm, I'm, 
you know, and that sucks, but like you move on with your life. And as much as I love those people and, and miss those people, you know, my life has moved on and my life is okay, even though they're not in it currently. So, mm-hmm. um, um, but other times I've been, you know, remained friends with a few of those people where it's like, oh, you know, we were able to move past that and it's, it's fine. Um, but again, I had to really, really trust that person to like know that my intentions are fully 100% like genuine and honest and not meant to hurt at all kind of thing. I can't do yeah. the I can't do the asking out the random person and hitting on a random person at the bar thing. Seth has tried to get me to do it before. Um, <laughs> one time we were at this bar and I had a conversation with the bartender and it got to like dating and like and like courtship and things like that. So we were having this whole conversation with the bartender and mm-hmm. and Seth was like you like you need to like just like leave your number there, you know. Literally just leave your number. And I was like even that, even just writing my number on like a receipt felt too much of an intrusion of like a betrayal of this conversation that I just had with this person. And like how how often do bartenders talk about how people hit on them, how much they hate that. I know. I was going to say there's the element of like flirting with someone or hitting on someone while they're at work is yeah. But I'm, yeah, I don't know. I, but then that's interesting because I, not to like completely change it, but I, I, I don't, think like if I were to I have done that before I've left my number for a bartender and we went on a couple dates and the dates turned out to suck but like I think it's it's this this part's not like our individual fault that the power dynamics of the world we live in Mm -hmm. make it so that you do have to worry about coming across as predatory where like women who approach men they might seem like pushy or whatever but they don't really I don't have to not that this is a thing I do because I'm pretty introverted, but if I were the type of person who could like walk up to somebody and be like, Hey, you're cute. Do you want to go out? I, that wouldn't be my first thought. Like, will I seem predatory, mm. you know? And I, I just have never really considered that other. Yeah. I, I mean, that is for those of us, for those of us men who care, it is not, like, I'm trying to, you know, I don't want to fucking, I don't want to, it's a hard conversation because yeah. it's like, I'm not trying to sit over here and be like, oh, woe is me, straight man. Let, let me try, well, Seth. Think, let me try. Um, okay. Can I, go, go ahead, as a baseline, say that I think we all know that it's a good thing that these conversations are happening mm-hmm. and that men are more aware of, like, as just a baseline yeah. going in. Yeah. We are all very pro respecting boundaries, mm-hmm. talking about when we're uncomfortable that's a good foundation, I think. Uh, so, so, well, I think you, you, it looks like sounded like you're trying to go with like if you don't care about, you, you said respecting boundaries and respecting women, like this time is not is only hard for you because you're you're there are consequences to your actions now, right? And so it's harder because you can't do the things that you used to do because you're going to get in trouble, right? It's harder for them in that way. But if you don't care, you're going to do it anyway. It's just harder because you might have to pay the price for it. But if you do care about all of these conversations going on and you want to be as respectful and everything as possible, it's really, really hard to then. Regardless of any movements, regardless of Me Too, regardless of, you know, like just being a uh, an empathetic, sensitive person to yeah. the needs of others, regardless of political climate. You can, 
if you're me and Ricky are sensitive, we're sensitive dudes and having to cross those boundaries as a sensitive guy is very hard because you're not, you're not willing to like, it hurts us so much to hurt others. We, we don't so, want there to be any potential of causing discomfort or pain on anybody because honestly it hurts us to, to, to know that we've done that. So it's both it's both a respect thing, but it's also a selfish thing of like I don't it hurts me to know that I've caused any kind of pain or discomfort to anybody else. So much shame. <laughs> we're back to shame. There's James so Potter much Brady. Yeah, there's so much shame when when you have imposed on another's in that way especially like we're getting into like so i was a super romantic child i was very romantic as a kid and uh and i was also a nerd you know and so like i took these big swings at women or girls when i was a young a a young kid you know in pursuit of what i thought was true love and uh a lot of rejection so it's like it's like ricky like i get i get i get it like Mm. you're it is not it is not easy to put yourself out there when you don't feel i'm gonna use the word Sorry, I know there's a lot of dead air in this, but I want to make sure I say the right words. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't, I, a traditional masculine energy is not what we present with. Mm-hmm. We're not dominant people. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have, <laughs> it's hard for us to muster up that big dick energy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's hard for us to muster up big dick energy on the approach, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, the, that's a fair point. I mean, what, what outside of acting, what industry do I work in? Child, <clears throat> child care, early childhood I, development. Like I'm a waiter, bro. I'm a waiter. I don't know. Waiters can have, can have, I know a lot of waiters that have a lot of big dick energy. Yeah. But that's like hotshot waiters in their twenties who are trying to like that's become fair. real estate agents, you know, or like, own a car, own a car dealership. Like, like if you're over 30 and still a waiter, I mean, you got, you better have your philosophy worked out because mm-hmm. people want to have a conversation with you as to why you're still a waiter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I will say ever since I was, I was been in, I've been in the workforce. I've worked in mostly female dominated fields. You know, I was a, a lifeguard. I was, uh, you know, I've been a, a tutor teacher um worked in preschools and now i work at a place where i'm you know working with babies you know five you know children five and under and 400 families of babies <laughs> and i'm the only guy that works at, at the place i work at and i and i've worked at this company since 2014 across three different stores so i worked in two different stores in chicago and then a store here and only once or twice has there been another guy that has ever worked in the same on the same staff as me one of them got fired right away the other one uh you know 
uh, we worked together for a while, and then he got a new job. So I'm the only guy that, that works at my current job, only man. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with children, young children. And we've talked about this as like there's a stigma about like adult men, single men working with young children. Like there's a stigma. But like, you know, I've worked in traditionally female-dominated fields my entire life, which is fine. I don't – I. I like it. I like, I love my job. I do. Uh, but like you said, like I don't present a traditionally masculine energy and I even tamp that down even more when I'm at work. So it's like very much a more, a a more, I guess, nurturing energy. And at the risk of repeating myself, Mm -hmm. I totally understand what you're saying. I do. I understand what you're saying. That it's, you don't want to, I mean, I think most people feel this way and maybe it's because you don't, you know, you're not presenting like traditional masculine energy because it might be more of a feminine energy thing where like, I I also don't want to impose my will on someone else mm-hmm. or make anyone uncomfortable. But I also think part of that compassion, again, is recognizing like they're, they're not like, a, it, they don't exist in a vacuum mm-hmm. and they're not like, obviously you know this, but they're not like, an, women are not an object that you're like imposing anything on they can form their own responses and and if they need to if they feel they need to butt up against you they can and also i I should say like this is obviously in circumstances like you're describing where you're approaching nicely and with empathy and just to be like hey what's up obviously in other situations where the men don't have as noble intentions it's different but in these situations i think i think maybe the answer is in in having some extra empathy for those women being like, well, I will be as mm. nice. And I don't know. I just feel like I, I want to give these women that you're talking about, no. like a little more agency in this situation. You're told, and that's totally, totally fair. I mean, this is coming from, from somebody who's extremely, extremely guarded being me and, and being, keeping things very, very, very close to the vest because there, there is a lot of fear and there is a lot of me protecting myself from yeah. from talking about self-worth here. So one of the things that I hold myself in very high esteem about is the fact that I feel like I care very much about people and I try and take care of people as much as possible. Like that's a point of pride for me is that I'm very empathetic and I am – I try and be the best person I could possibly be. That And so like – there is an element of like holding on to this idea of myself being as good of a person as I can possibly be. And if I even insult somebody on accident, it, it like it's, it's a very fragile self-worth that I have because I don't have it in a lot of other areas. And yeah, so I, I think, it's very, I think very fragile. And so honestly, <laughs> there is a little bit of an ego thing in here as well, where it's actually a little bit selfish of me to just protect this idea of myself as being yeah. a good guy and and not jeopardizing it for anybody. Not wanting to rock the boat even a little not bit. Not even a little you, bit. And so there is an element of being very guarded here. And I to, yeah. to you're right, to give agency to other people, I should respect the other person and that, you know, my roommate even said this to me once. He's like, look, man, like you have to like, because I minimize myself sometimes. He's like, look, like be, you're allowed to exist like yeah but you also have to know that like sometimes that might annoy me and like you have to respect that like i can have i can be annoyed i'm allowed to be annoyed right but like you're also allowed to exist 
So like the fact that like it might annoy me sometimes that like I'm working on something and you're in the kitchen cooking, like you shouldn't feel bad about that. Like that's just how I'm going to feel. But like you can, you're allowed to exist in this space. That's an extremely, I feel like that's a very healthy thing to communicate with your roommate. He's a great roommate. It's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Justin. Happy birthday, Justin. (laughs) He's a great roommate. And, and it's it's something we're working through together where I, I, again, walking on eggshells, even though, because I don't want to impose on him. I don't want him to feel frustrated, you know, or annoyed, you know, because I'm eating in the kitchen or I'm doing anything. And he's like, dude, it's your house. It's your kitchen. Like you're allowed to eat in the kitchen. If like I'm working down there and like that could might, yeah, maybe you're cooking and that's loud and annoying, but like you're allowed to do that because it's your kitchen, you know, like, like don't feel like just because it might bother me that you shouldn't do it, you know, which is Mm -hmm. true. He's like, I'm going to feel the way I feel and you shouldn't have to protect the way I feel, you know? Yeah. So, and, and really, I think the, just you listening to him express it because mm-hmm. you can't guess how he feels. Exactly. Like it's on the impetus is on both people in a relationship for one person to say what they need or what they're feeling and for the other person to listen. And it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think really. I mean, it's, it's, it is a, us like, it is a problem with our view of self and shame. Right. So it's like, it's how, so we don't know how to deal with the shame around this pursuit of sex, right? Like, like, it's like, it's almost like we've been, it's been drilled into our heads that if you're looking to have sex, you're a bad person, you know, like you're looking, if you're looking to have sex, then your intentions are poor. You have, you're, you're a predator and like, you should feel bad about yourself that you're pursuing this thing. Cause that's the way we, we were raised religiously. Uh, it's, it's, so it's like, I mean, this is, I mean, honestly, like I'm still trying to figure out how to allow myself like, what are the circumstances that I don't feel this way? You know what I mean? Like, what are the circumstances that I don't have shame around? Like, I'd have to be married, you know, like, technically. But I've never gotten to a place where I feel like I can do that. So it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, shame. yeah, shame. There's just so, so much shame. Uh, and I, I think, I think that's what's cool about this movie is it, it is, it definitely highlights how people try to deal with their shame, you know, and there's like some shame you should have, you know what I mean? Like some shame, like dealing with, uh, Charlie, you know what I mean? He should be, be shameful. Um, he's still a person, but it's, you know, he, they're like, I, I thought that was a pretty amazing, uh, kind of moments in this, like, of course, no one like child pornography is not okay, but like watching this guy go through that is really humanizing at the same time, you know, like if there is something about you that you are that shameful of and it comes out, how do you, 
know, what do you do? You know, like mm. that, that moment's so sad with him behind the glass, you know? And it's like, we're removed from it because we're not seeing the child pornography. We're not like, we just, we're discovering it. And like that. And like Bert's face is just like, what the fuck, man. And he's like, are you my friend? Are you my friend? It's just so sad. Such a sad moment. I don't know. That was tricky for, I, I wasn't sad for him. <laughs> I was just. That's how Sarah I, felt too. And I, them. like, sorry, what? I'm just saying, like, I, I agree that he is in the wrong entirely. Yeah. Yeah. But you felt like you could also see like the, the person. I think it was also hard for me to watch that scene because Burt Reynolds character for <laughs> obviously child pornography is like, like horrible one of the worst things that anyone could you know but he could also for some reason he could forgive this guy like watching all of these young women od and like give them so much cocaine that they're but he's like well this is where i draw the line i was just like what are these that's that's why i think it's genius Mm -hmm. because because this whole film is about sexual deviancy Mm -hmm. right and so where is your line for what's okay with sexual sexual deviance and and like this is like charlie's example is the periphery extreme but i think it's important that it's included because it's all- oh sorry i mean i'm just saying i think it's important that it's included because it is showing the spectrum of okay at some point where should shame come into play and is it healthy yeah yeah, it's just hard to to. I'm not sure I agree. It's like on the same spectrum. Like, I, are you talking about like the the cocaine part or just the making pornography part? The sexual deviancy part of our our society's our society's view of sexual de- deviancy and pornography, especially at the time, it was seen as sexually deviant. Right. Well, it's still so. I have a story about porn. Um, Seth knows the story because it's somebody that he knows that revolves around this. So Seth and I were doing a Christmas show in Chicago and someone he knew from his hometown was in, in the city visiting. Um, and this person helped us put on our Christmas show and I was very attracted to her. Um, oh, okay. I remember this story now. Yes. Uh, and she was in. She was still in college, um, and she was writing a, a, a one woman show uh, about porn. She basically doing like a, 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 a Anna Devere Smith uh, style, like where I'm playing a bunch of different people, but it's just me type of thing. All these like interviews and things like that, um, and is about the porn industry. And this girl is very religious, uh, and I. You know, I'm also a playwright and a writer too. So I was like, "Oh, I'd love to read it, give you some notes, tell you what you think, and and things like that." Uh, and she so she sent it over to me, and I read it, and it was very anti-pornography, extremely. Um, and but what I was reading in a lot of these interviews that she had done with former porn actors and sex therapists and things like that were like, there is there are healthier aspects to porn. Like, sure, the industry is kind of unchecked in a lot of ways, and so there is a lot of not great stuff. But, like, 
sex and sex positivity can be very empowering and can be very important to explore for couples and and like porn can do a lot of good too um and so it's like a mixed bag and i think a lot of people look at porn in this way but the conclusion that this this uh person came to was like all porn is evil and if you participate in porn you're going to hell basically and i was like i was like whoa this conclusion that you come to is not what these like interviews are like it's presenting at all um you're just like judging all these people that you've interviewed and had these conversations with instead of saying they all are horrible sick people and i was like i think that go ahead the reason the this is such a sensitive conversation because i maybe i I don't have the same definition or or, uh, established definition of like sexual deviancy Mm because i think i think the the difference is consent versus not consent like those women ODing on cocaine those children that, you know, that's not, that's not just as far as I know, again, I don't really know the full definition of sexual deviancy. That's just not just like a, you know, it's not like voyeurism or like a kink or whatever. That's like an unconsenting other person. Yes. So that's me a whole different, like, that's not sexual deviancy anymore or whatever you call it. That's like assault criminal rape. Yeah. Like it's, it's, that's where I get like, right. But it, in terms of like, In terms of like the way, so let's say the church, if you were raised religious, the way the church views uh, looking at pornography or even lust, we're going to get like down to it, like is on the same, it is the same infraction. Which is why I don't go to church. (laughs) But like, but like, I guess what I'm like, it's not. And, and, and especially in the seventies, porn was viewed as this like shameful thing. You know what I mean? Like it was viewed as you didn't want to know what you didn't want anyone to see you go into one of those theaters, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like you by cultural standards are being a sexual deviant just by going to see one of these movies. Yes. And so but again. I, I like a hundred percent agree. Like it is a different thing. What, what you're saying, like, like what we're talking about with like Charlie's character, but it is still kind of in this sexual shame realm and it's all. So it's like, when, at what point should you have shame around sex? When at that point, at that point, and this is a conversation, as far as I understand it, among people like having this discourse, do you even call it sex anymore? Right. You know, are we like to call it that lumps it in with something that it, I don't know what a sex imply versus what this like criminal thing is. I'm not even sure I would classify it in the same. And that's obviously like a more modern conversation. And I understand what you're saying about certain people's perception of you know, pornography and like lumping it in. But I, I guess I'm just saying I like firmly disagree. <laughs> and I know you're not saying you agree, but. I'm just, you know. I'm just saying that I think it's an interesting exploration that this movie goes to those peripheries, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I I mean, in this movie, it's something that, I mean, obviously we just, t- we just like kind of like touched base on this. For me, it's a lot of like, 
there's a there is a little bit of like jealousy and resentment in this movie sometimes for me of like the fact that these people are very sexually free you know there there's yeah. a they they have a freedom to them i mean there's a lot they have it comes with a price comes with a cost a social cost but like there is a sexual freedom that they have and like a very openness about sex you know that is is something that i i do am jealous of a little bit um because it's something that i struggle with so much um as far as like being very open and very not that i'm not sex positive um but like like you said there's that shame is there for me and like seeing a movie where like the movie is like putting on that stuff on full display and showing these characters like don't have a whole lot of sexual shame their shame comes in in other ways um but sexual shame i don't think they have all that much that's the thing i think they're actually find worth their worth in that they're they're good at sex right it's the other areas of their life where they find their shame you know roller girl feeling like she's she's stupid um uh amber feeling like she's she's a failed mother uh dirk feeling like if he's not you know the only thing he is good at is sex and so if he's not doing that he you know his mom like talks about how like he's worthless and he's like you don't even know how how much i'm capable of and you know what he thinks he what he's capable of is being the sex god basically Mm -hmm. and that's all he thinks he's capable of um and so for me like the sexual shame is not as much present here. It's honestly a lot of sexual liberation. It's the shame in other areas where they feel deficient. Um, that is interesting because I feel like mm-hmm. sexual shame is what other people feel, and these people feel their shame in other in other areas. Yeah, and seeing women, like, I kind of wish. I feel like every time we see the women enjoying sex, it's because they're on camera. Mm-hmm. I can't think of. I kind of wish there was more about them just enjoying right. it for the sake of it, but it did seem like they really did, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, then again, they're acting. I don't know. Um, I do want to talk about the fact that the, not to derail totally, but this reminded me of it. Um, the, what am I trying to say? Them each kind of getting there, like the women in the movie. Mm. And I mean, even the men, they're getting there, like they're, I guess they feel like they're still like approved of or, or like acceptable, even in this kind of like um, under, I don't know what to call it. Underbelly. I don't know. Different world sub section. Of, I forget the word that I want, but like Amber is still a mother. Mm-hmm. Like she's still caring and she's still like, that's very much her personality. And on the flip side, roller girl is kind of like girlish and bubbly and like cute and, it's just it's and then you know um like uh Burt Reynolds he's like his whole identity is in being like a very masculine like ochoa like you were saying um i just for the women in particular i wish they had been allowed to be and maybe i think this is probably on purpose but i wish they had been allowed to be a little more uh not even interesting just Maybe they don't have to be one of those two things, you know. They don't. They can just enjoy sex and be yeah 
That's a good point. Whatever, and not have to fall into like a very consumable, but they probably felt like they had to do that because they are in this industry and also were raised in the world we live in. I will say, I think something for Amber is that Amber became a director at the end. So she she, did. she directed her little documentary and she was directing the commercial for Buck. Yeah. So she's like finding her well, like direct. She's like she's stepping into being more of a filmmaker rather than just yeah. an, the you know performer, which That's I thought was very true. interesting. It was yeah. very subtle. You know, it's quick. You see her behind the camera directing directing that commercial. And it's like oh okay. Yeah. Kind of using that like maternal like you know that mm-hmm. nature of hers for something a little more substantial yeah tangible yeah yeah absolutely that's true yeah that's very true there you go there's something there um yeah but i think it's absolutely on purpose i just you know i clocked it oh yeah (laughs) uh so i think for now that is where we can end our discussion of boogie nights we have been going on for a while here uh so uh, that is our discussion. Thank you all for listening. Thank you both for sharing. Uh, um, what do you all think of Boogie Nights out there? Um, if you uh, liked it, what do you think? What did, what did it make you feel? What did it make you want to explore? Um, but it's time to talk about what's next. Um, so, Seth, uh, we have a special announcement about what's next. Seth, can you tell the people what's happening next week? Yeah. So we're going to have a guest next week. And it's a it's an old friend, an old friend, uh, mm-hmm. our buddy uh, Ian Malden, podcaster extraordinaire, uh, is going to be on the podcast next week, and we're going to be doing the Miyazaki film Princess Mononoke. Yes, Ian. Uh, if you guys remember Ian from the show, he was our very first guest on the What's About Film podcast. He's got, he brought us Big Fish. This time he's bringing us Princess Mononoke from Studio Ghibli. Uh, if you wanted to watch Princess Mononoke along with us, uh, you can watch uh, Princess Mononoke on both Amazon Prime and HBO Max with a subscription, or you can pay to rent it on YouTube, Apple TV, Redbox, Google Play, and Vudu. Uh, so please watch along with us, Princess Mononoke. That is M-O-N-O-N-O-K-E. That's so hard to spell. M-O-N-O-N-O-K-E. <laughs> Mononoke. <laughs> uh thank you both uh megan and seth for being here megan why don't you go ahead and shout yourself out sure you can find me on instagram at m-e-a-g-h-a-n jane underscore 61 i think i think that's it <laughs> <laughs> we'll find out yeah it's also in the description below for anybody uh it's in the description of this of the podcast all of our handles will be there Seth, go ahead and shout yourself out. Uh, yeah, Seth Adam Crow on Instagram. That's Crow with an E. Uh, you can find me at the Birdie Word on Twitter. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. And of course, my website, SethCrow.com. Always awesome. with an E. Awesome, awesome. And I am Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on Instagram and on TikTok. Uh, you can find, oh, also something, a really cool announcement. So uh, I worked on a Netflix show last, uh, last December. Uh, and I did uh, the English dubbing for a show on Netflix, and it just came out today. Um, so if oh. anybody wants to hear my voice uh, as the English dub, uh, go and check out In Love All Over Again on Netflix, and make sure you turn on the English dub. You'll be able to hear my voice. I'm playing the role of Da. 
Uh, so if you want to check that out, you can do that now. It's on Netflix. Dropped this morning. Just checked it out. Nice. Uh, so please do that. Uh, maybe they'll bring me back for season two if they do a season two. Who knows? Um, but thank you all. Uh, if you want to follow this podcast, we are the What's It About Fun podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and in various other places you find your podcasts. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, we are uh, at Twitter, uh, at WeAPodWhat. Instagram at What's It About Podcast and at, on TikTok at What's It About Pod. We post new episodes every Friday morning uh, so you can get them then. Thank you all for listening and thank you both for being here. We will see you next time. Bye. Adios. Bye.